What is up? Good morning, Journey. It is so good to see you all here. For those of you watching outside, good to see you. Those of you online, so glad you are with us. The last two weeks, I think, have been my favorite two weeks ever in the history of our church. Turn to somebody sitting next to you and say, praise the Lord. Just tell them, praise the Lord. We said two weeks ago that we are going to praise the Lord in 2020, not in spite of what is happening, but because of what is happening. We believe Jesus is still on the throne, amen? I mean, even on all the madness, Jesus is still on the throne. We're going to move forward, and we're going to do it acknowledging that he is the king of the world. Turn to somebody and say, press on. We said last week, in spite of what we're going through, we are going to press on. We are not going to spin 2020. Have any of you been on your computer at any time and that little ball comes up and starts circling where everything is frozen? We are not going to live frozen in time in 2020 spiritually. We are going to press on. We are going to move on spiritually. We said as a church, we're, we're, just, we're, we're not going to wait on the world to set our agenda. We're going to keep going forward with Jesus and a spirit of revival is beginning to boil up within our church. For those of you who have been here, the remnant who's coming even during COVID, for those of you still watching online faithfully every week until you can come back, we are believing God for big things in this year. It's time to move on. Amen? It's time to move on. Listen, the Chiefs have a game on Thursday. It's time to move forward. It's going to snow a foot in the Colorado mountains on Tuesday. Can I hear an amen? Like, it's a high of 58 degrees this Wednesday. I'm going to wear a sweatshirt and pretend that it's fall, even if it's only fall for a day. We are moving forward. Starting a new series today called Made for This. The premise of this series is found in one verse in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 1 a little bit, a little bit in chapter 2. That verse is this, Ephesians 2.10. Every Christian ought to have underlined in their Bible at least three verses, Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 2.9, Ephesians 2.10. It talks about how you come to know God through a relationship with Jesus and then what you do after that, which is this. We learn that we are God's handiwork. It's a picture of God knitting a quilt. We are people that God has put together in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In this one verse, we learn that God made us. He connected us to his son, Christ Jesus, and he, just, he, he put things in our heart and in our lives that we can do, things that before the world was created, we had to do. He said, I'm going to find you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to introduce you to my son. I'm going to fill you with gifts, and you're going to go do what I created you to do. The purpose of this series is to help you understand what you were created for. The premise of this series is this. We believe that every follower of Jesus has been created to do four things. Number one, to know God and to know God deeply. Number two, through that knowledge of God and his work in your life through his son Jesus to be transformed, to be made different, to be made new, to discover your purpose as you figure out who God created you to be, you figure out what God created you to do, and then to do it, and by doing it, make the difference in the world that God intends for you to have. That's the whole purpose of this series. We've just started a brand new discipleship pathway at our church called Growth Track that we would love for you to be a part of. Inside your bulletin today, you're going to find this little card that says JCI Growth Track. It's our goal that every person in our church between now and January 1 would go through all four steps of this discipleship pathway. Step one, step two, step three, step four. You can do that in September after church. Every Sunday in September after church, we'll stay for about an hour. We'll feed you lunch and we'll take you through the first four steps of our discipleship pathway. 
beginning in October. Those will happen during the services on Sunday. So you can come to the 8 a.m., go to a class at 9.30, or come to the 9.30, maybe go to a class at the 11. You say, man, I want to know God. I want to be transformed. I want to discover what God created me to do. Like Caleb, I want to be able to say, I was made for this, um, and I want to make a difference. If you'll fill this out, drop it in the box on the way out. We'll get you the information for that. If you don't have lunch plans today, just stay. Just stay for class one. You'll learn everything that you need to know about the rest of them. Um, if you're a technology person, you're not ready to touch pins and bulletins that other people t- have touched yet, you can text Journey Growth to 474747. It will send you a link to fill out so you can be a part of this process. But Journey, I want all of you to go through it because my heart is for you to know God deeply, be transformed from the inside out, discover who God created you to be, and then spend your life doing it. As we get into today's first message of this series, to know God, we want to today distinguish between knowing about God and and truly knowing God, because we believe there's a difference, right? Like there's a difference between knowing about God and truly knowing God. As a matter of fact, one of the main themes of Jesus' ministry is his time trying to convince people who know about God to come into a relationship with him as God. People that the New Testament scriptures call Pharisees and Sadducees. People the New Testament call scribes. These were people who were paid to write the Bible because there were no printing presses. They knew it better than anyone. They would know probably the entire Bible by heart. People called teachers of the law that would teach what the scribes were writing. Jesus was constantly telling them, you know about God, but you don't know God personally yet because you don't know me. He says in John chapter five, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me. Our goal at Journey is not that you know about God. We're not just trying to give you inspiration information. We're trying to teach you to know God so you can experience transformation from a man named Jesus. That's our goal. And as we look at the second goal of our series, it's to measure how our current faith walk is doing in developing our knowledge of God. And here's my goal for you today, that when we get to this measurement exercise, that you're honest, that you're authentic, that you're transparent. And listen to me, if 2020 has not been a good year spiritually for you, just own it. Just own it. Just wear it. Just admit it. Just learn from it and move on because spiritual failure is of no use to you if you don't acknowledge it and learn from it so you can make some changes. So I am going to ask you to do a little bit of heavy lifting at the end of the message when I say, okay, measure how your faith walk is going in 2020. But I think if you will do that honestly, that you can really maybe experience some growth today. Hey, before we try to accomplish these two goals, let's pray and ask God to help us. Can we do that? Would you bow your heads with me? Take a deep breath if you haven't done that yet today and just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Ask God to speak to you. If that happens today, we win spiritually. Ask God to speak to your heart. Speak to us today, Lord. Your word tells us that you created us so that we could know you, so we could be transformed by that knowledge, and so that we could serve you, so the world might know you and your love and your power. Help us as we begin that journey this month to, this month to know you better. Lord, we love you. Wesley sings in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Ephesians 1.17 is the one verse we're going to study today. We're going to read it twice. Get your Bible open, underline it. This is the Apostle Paul praying for the church at Ephesus, and he says he's praying this way. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him 
better. Let's look at that verse one more time. Get your pen out if you have your Bible open. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. Anytime in the New Testament you see the word Spirit with a capital S, it means Holy Spirit. So Paul said, I am praying that the Holy Spirit, I am praying God, the Holy Spirit, tells you something. I'm praying that God, the Holy Spirit, gives you the wisdom, that means the knowledge in your head, the revelation, that means the opening of your heart. I'm praying that God, the Holy Spirit, puts into your head and into your heart who Jesus is so that you might know him better. Journey, you need to understand, that's my prayer for you too, that God might put into your head and into your heart a deeper desire to know who Jesus is. As we look at this one verse and as kind of we pull back, as we pull back the cover on the Apostle Paul in this season, and we look at his heart, we're going to learn two things that are going to be really important today. First, we're going to see a pastoral prayer and a personal passion of Paul's to know God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians is what's known as a prison epistle. An epistle was a letter written by an apostle to the church. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter because he was a Christian telling people about Jesus, so this is known as a prison epistle. Acts chapter 28, the last two verses of the book of Acts say that Paul was put in prison in Rome for two years. His friends were allowed to come and go, and we learned that he wrote letters in those years. He would, his friends would come, they'd pick up a letter, and they'd take it back to their church. We know four of those letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and he wrote one to his friend named Philemon. And when you look at the prison epistles of the apostle Paul, there's some tremendous truth that I think we should pull out for 2020. Because we've said the last few weeks, the Bible is not an old book. The Bible is an eternal book. The Bible is not an ancient book. It's an eternal book, which means it means the same thing today on the day that it was written, and it'll mean the same thing 2,000 years from now if there's still people calling planet Earth home. The Bible is an eternal book. It's a timeless book, which means it's a timely book, which means that everything you ever experience in life, there's probably going to be something in Scripture to help you get through that. And in the year 2020, the prison epistles is where we should camp to learn the posture and the spirit and the hope that believers of Jesus should have as we move forward. Because if we're to be really, really honest, some of us are not doing well spiritually in the year 2020. I don't know that I'll ever write a prison epistle. It could happen. I think there could be a time in the next generation or two where American pastors go to jail for preaching the Bible and they have to write letters or emails out or record messages. I don't know that I'll get there, but, but we could. You never know. Um, but I have preached quarantine sermons, um, which feels similar because you are communicating to a church that you can't see anymore. And what I learned preaching quarantine sermons is the, the one thing you have as a pastor when you can't meet for 13 weeks is you develop this fear, not that people won't come back to church, but you develop a fear that people have stopped walking with God. Because you can't see them, because you can't touch them, because you can't feel them, because you can't talk to them, because you can't look in their eyes. You wonder, are they still walking with Jesus? Do they still love Jesus? If not, did they even know Jesus? That is the fear of a quarantine pastor. Statistics have already told us six months into now this quarantine that 30% of people who were regular church attenders in March of 2020 have not come back to church, have not watched church, will never come back. If Journey holds two statistics, 30% of our church is gone, they ain't ever coming back. People have stopped walking with Jesus, probably because they didn't know Jesus and they weren't real followers of Jesus. Because that's all it takes to get you to walk away, then you know, maybe, you didn't, maybe you didn't have the Son of God in your heart. But you, you wonder and you worry, are people doing okay spiritually? And I got to be honest, some of us, some of you here, some of you watching online, not, not doing too good spiritually. 
2020's kicked our butt. I'm reading with a couple hundred leaders in our church a devotional book every day called My Utmost for His Highest this week. Holy cow, look out. Sunday morning of last week, Oswald Chambers, who wrote this book, said, once you have a right relationship with God through salvation and sanctification, remember that whatever your circumstances may be, you have been placed in them by God. Do you believe that about 2020? Once you have become a Christian who's given their life to Jesus and you've set your life apart for Jesus, we remember that whatever situation we find ourselves in, we believe God has placed us there. Do you believe that about this year? And God uses the reaction of your life to your circumstances to fulfill his purpose for you as long as you continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. For followers of Jesus, God said, I'm going to put you right here in 2020 because how you react to that as you fulfill your purpose is actually going to fulfill my purpose. But some of you did not react to that according to God's purpose. You reacted to it according to your purpose. And man, you are off track spiritually. Now, I don't believe this is for everyone in this room. I don't believe it's for everyone watching at home today, but I believe it's for someone or God wouldn't have told me to put it in this message. And if it's for you, you need to face the reality of it. You need to chalk up this season as, okay, you know, like a 12-round boxing match. I lost that round. I've been failing in this season. You say, Christian, man, that's really harsh. Listen, I'm not trying to be harsh. I love you. I love you. I'm, 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 trying, I'm trying to get you back on track. I'm not trying to be harsh. Spiritual failure is not ever fatal until it's final. So the bell's going to ring and you get another round. But spiritual failure also has no value to you if you don't admit it, acknowledge it, and learn from it. And some of you have been running the other direction from what God intended from you. He puts you in this situation so the reaction of your life to these circumstances would make you exactly who God created you to, do, to be and allow you to do exactly what God created you to do. And instead, you've just totally shut down and you're off the path. You got to own that. If that's, if that's you, you got to own it. You got to wear it. You got to say, yep, that's me. 2020, not been a good one. That's me. And you got to get back in the fight. You got to get back in the fight. You say, man, how could a guy writing 100 years ago so nail the situation that we're living in? I'm not sure, but he did it again on Monday because Monday's devotion said this. It's an insult to Jesus to use the word happiness in connection with him. Living a full and overflowing life does not rest in bodily health and circumstances, nor even in seeing God's work succeed, but in the perfect understanding of God and in the same fellowship and oneness with him that Jesus himself enjoyed. The first thing that will hinder this joy is the subtle irritability caused by giving too much thought to our circumstances. Wear it. Own it. If that's you... Too much thought to my circumstances. Daniel's watch is talking to me from the front row. He's like, who's that? Own it. I will never call out anybody but my wife, but when her watch starts talking to me, just tell them we said hi. Um, Tell them I'm preaching right now. Uh, I'll call her out. Own it. Subtle irritability. Cross out the word subtle. I've just been irritated all year long. I'm irritated at masks. I'm irritated at the schools. I'm irritated at this. I'm I'm irritated at the protest. I'm irritated at the lack of protest. Okay, but are you going to let your irritability get you off of what God has created you to do? See, Paul, when we look at these prison epistles, had this huge fear that the people he had led, because they weren't 
close anymore that they, that they wouldn't be walking with Jesus anymore. So he says to the church at Ephesus, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What do pastors think about when they can't be with their people? Paul said they, they, they pray that their people are still walking with Jesus. Paul finished this letter and gave it to a courier and said, bring me some more paper. And he started writing a letter to the church at Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of our God. What do pastors think about when they're not with their people? They just hope they're still walking with God and growing in the knowledge of the faith. He finished Colossians and gave it to a courier and said, bring me some more paper. Then he writes a letter to Philemon. And he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. When you look at these prison epistles, this theme comes out that I'm worried that you're not walking with God. I'm worried that you're not chasing after Jesus. I'm worried that the knowledge of who Jesus is, that the knowledge Jesus is on the throne, that the knowledge Jesus is in charge is not ruling your life and your emotions anymore. And you're getting off track. Paul said, I'm worried about you. And I'm worried about you because I'm also making making sure I am not getting off track. The fourth prison epistle was Philippians. And he didn't say, I'm praying for you to know God. He said, I'm praying, I remember to know God. He said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He said, everything that could distract me spiritually in 2020 is garbage compared to Jesus. Please don't let me get off track. I'm rounding up everything that everyone's talking about and all the ways I make decisions and everything is garbage compared to putting Jesus first in my life and the mission that he's called me to. I don't care about any of that if it hurts my knowledge of Jesus Christ because he says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. That's what I want. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, I'm sitting in prison, and here's my prayer for myself. Don't drift from Jesus. Don't drift from Jesus in my chains. Don't drift from Jesus in my mask. Don't drift from Jesus in my online school. Don't drift from Jesus in a year of protest. Don't drift from Jesus. That stuff's garbage compared to what Jesus can do for me. Don't drift from Jesus or his mission from my life. Amen? That's Paul's prayer in Philippians 3. He said, I'm thinking about you knowing Jesus because I'm thinking about me knowing Jesus and we cannot walk away from Jesus. Philippians 10, if you don't have a 310, if you don't have a life verse would be a good one. It was my life verse in college. First time I heard it, I thought, that's what I want. I want to know Christ. More than anything in my life, I want to know him. I want to know him better. This became my life verse. Recently, after about 22 years in ministry, my life verse has transitioned to Ezra 7.10. Ezra 7.10 says that Ezra set his life to learn and study the word of God so that he could obey it and he could teach everyone else it too. That's what I believe I've been created to do. If you would hear my video like Caleb's, I believe God has created me to learn and study the word of God so that I can obey it and I can teach it to everyone else. If you are looking for a church that might think parts of the Bible are not true anymore, you are at the wrong place. Thank you for coming. That's not me. I believe one day when I stand before God, he's gonna say, did you study and learn it? Did you obey it? Did you teach it to everyone else? I've told Danielle, when I die, if I have a tombstone, put Ezra 710 on my tombstone. If, I, if you cremate me, put it on an urn. If you don't want to do those things, buy a dog, name him Ezra, buy him on July 10th, and don't ever forget Ezra 710. Like, 
That's who I am. God has created me. God has created me to learn the Bible, obey the Bible, teach the Bible. Paul said, here's what I want. I want to know Christ. You say, why? Why is he so passionate about that? Because when knowing God becomes the passion of your life, being transformed becomes the reality of your life. And some of you are light in transformation because you're light in your knowledge of who God is relationally. It's because sometimes we want transformation more than what gives the transformation. We talk about our growth track, first two steps, know God, be transformed. You know what the world is looking for in 2020? The slogans, the murals, the painting. You know what everyone, everyone wants transformation. Everyone wants and needs transformation. The protests, they're about transformation. It's about change. The marches, they're about transformation. They're about change. The legislation, the new bills, they're about they're about transformation. They're about change. Everyone wants transformation. Just nobody wants to have to know God in order to find the transformation. And Paul says, you want transformation? You got to know God. Because if you will know God, you will experience transformation. Too many people, Christians included, want number two without number one. I mean, it's why you're sitting here. You, uh, nobody comes to church on Labor Day weekend. No one watches church on Labor Day weekend at the lake before they head out if they don't want God to change your life. But the hard work is found in step one, and the church of Ephesus didn't do it. Ephesians 1 that we just read was written in AD 60 or so by the Apostle Paul. 30 years later, 35 years later, a man named Jesus from heaven wrote a letter to the church of Revelation. He asked John to write it down for him. And Jesus said this to the same church a generation later. I know your deeds. I know your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, have found them false. You've persevered. You've endured hardship for my name. You've not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you fall and repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I'm gonna come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus said, I look at your church and you do church well. Good job, you're making a difference in your community. Good job, your doctrine's pretty solid. Good job, there's only one problem. You don't love Jesus anymore. And I wonder if Paul knew this. I wonder if Paul, after spending two years in Ephesus, thought, I think these people love church more than Jesus. They love ministry more than the Messiah. And as he wrote to him in Ephesians 1, he thought, man, I hope y'all are still pressing into Jesus because I hear good things about your church, but are your hearts still pressing into Jesus? My prayer is that you'll still know Jesus because that's the only way to really develop transformation. Listen, folks, there's some years in life like 2020 where just knowing about God is not enough to sustain you. You don't need spiritual answers to trivia questions this year. You need the answer of life, the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. So we see Paul has this pastoral prayer. Man, I'm praying people stay close to Jesus because it's his personal passion, because in my soul, I know that's all that's going to sustain me in this season. I can't let my circumstances get me off track. I gotta keep going spiritually. You say, Christian, how do I know if I, am, if I am someone who knows about God or if I am someone who knows God? Let me show you a picture of those who know God. I dusted off a classic book out of my library this week. I haven't read it in 20 years, but I, I grabbed it and read it again. Um, it's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Every Christian leader should have this in their library, in their repertoire. For those of you who want to learn more about God, 
phenomenal book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. The chapters are written in about six or seven pages, so you can read it with your devotions daily. You could easily get through it in a month. A phenomenal book. If you say, I want to know God even more than you're talking about, go get this book. He's got a chapter in here about evidences of knowing God, how, how you can know someone knows God rather than just knowing about God. You say, what are those evidences? Number one, they have great energy for God. He takes us through a trip in the book of Daniel, and he said, Daniel shows us a group of people who know God, not just who know about God. Now, this should be a warning, because anytime Daniel is the example spiritually, we're going to fall short, for those of you who've read the book. Anytime Daniel shows us what to do, we all know we've got work to do, because Daniel is way up here on the level of spiritual maturity. But we read in the book of Daniel, in Daniel 11.32, Daniel says, people who know their God stand firm, and they take action. Daniel says, people who know God stand firm and take action. They have great energy for God. They have movement from God. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read that God gives a spiritual armor. The fourth piece of our spiritual armor are cleats, their shoes that help us when an attack comes, stand our ground. Daniel says, Christians who really know God will not only stand their ground, but once they've got stable, they'll begin fighting back. They'll begin moving forward again. People who really know God deeply, they stand firm and they take action. That's what happened in Daniel 1. That's what happened in Daniel 3. That's what happened in Daniel 6. A spiritual attack came. They were able to survive it, and then they started moving forward again. Some of you are still trying to find your footing in 2020. And some of you have found your footing, but you thought, I ain't moving forward again. I'm not getting back to normal until this is all over. And what you don't know is it's very, very subtle, but you are moving backwards. Because Jesus called us to follow him, which means every day he's going to take at least one step. And if we don't take one step, we're, distance is growing. We're following a moving Messiah. So when we stand still, he gets further away. He goes, we go. And I promise you, Jesus is still moving forward in 2020. Amen? So we better put our shoes on and go. They have great energy for God. Evidence number two, they have great belief about their God. They have great belief about their God. In 12 different chapters in the book of Daniel, you read at least one verse that says something like this. God is still on the throne. It's going to be okay. At least 12 different chapters have at least one verse in them that says, God is still in charge. Things are going to be okay. Now, for those of you who might be Bible scholars, how many chapters are in the book of Daniel? It rhymes with 12. How many chapters are in the book of Daniel? 12, which means in every chapter of the book of Daniel, someone calls a timeout to say, don't forget, God is still in charge of this mess. Husbands, husbands, husbands online, if every day you would wake up and tell your family, don't forget, God is still in charge. Your family would be different this year. Moms, if you would look your little kids in the eye before you put their mask on them and send them off on the school bus Tuesday to school, those of you in the Lee Summit School District, and you look them right in the eye and say, look at mom, look at mom. God is still in charge. It would change your kids' hearts. If your family was the family on the neighborhood block when everyone else was freaked out about everything that was saying, listen, here's how we get through this. Here's why our life is as normal as it's ever been. We believe God is still in charge. That would make a difference. And guess what? God is still in charge. All of us believe that. Not all of us are acting like that. 
And Daniel says in Daniel 4.25 and in Daniel 5.21 to an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar twice, he said, the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of the world. Let me tell you two things as a pastor that I am absolutely sure of. One, I have no clue what God is doing in 2020. But I have no doubt it will be good for me spiritually. Two things that I'm absolutely sure of because of this, one of them because of this book. One, no clue what's going on in the, with, with this COVID thing. No clue. But because of this book, no doubt that God plans to use it so that I can be more like Jesus. Don't have a doubt about that. But only as I walk in the light as he is in the light, if I remove myself from the light, that's not going to go well for me. Daniel and his friends, they had great belief about God, which led to, number three, great boldness for God. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1. He said, I'm in prison. I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. Win-win. If I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. That's like the whole point anyway. If I live, I'm going to serve Jesus so that others can be with Jesus. That's kind of the whole point anyway. He shows this uncommon supernatural boldness. I'm good either way. Daniel and his friends had that. In Daniel chapter 1, they said, you're not allowed to eat your kosher diet anymore that will honor your God. You're going to eat the Babylonian diet because the food sacrifice to them means you'll be worshiping our gods. And Daniel said, we ain't doing that. We ain't going to do it. Not going to do it. You can kill us. That only gets us where we ultimately want to be anyway. And they said, okay, you don't have to eat the food. Daniel chapter 3, Daniel's away on business, but his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are with all the people taken to the desert. There's a 90-foot-tall statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and they said the band's going to play, and everybody's going to bow down and worship this, worship this idol. And the friends said, we ain't going to do it. We ain't doing that. Yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do anything that violates our worship of, of our God. And they said, well, well, then we'll kill you. And they said, great. Just puts us where we want to be. God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we'll, we'll be where we want to be. We, we ain't doing it. Daniel chapter 6. They said, you're not allowed to pray. So Daniel says, it went, Daniel went home and opened his windows towards Jerusalem. You know why I think he opened his windows? It doesn't say it in the book, but I think Daniel opened his windows and said, I'm getting ready to pray now. Because <laughs> he didn't have to have his windows open to pray towards Jerusalem. I think he wanted them to know. I ain't going to do what you say. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and if you throw me in the lines, then I die and go be with God. That's the goal. If I live, I'll keep figuring that out figuring it out as I go. Christians have to have more courage in 2020. I don't know what God's doing, but I have no doubt that it's good spiritually if we will just walk with Jesus. Let's keep moving ahead. And then evidence number four. Say, how do I know that I know God? Great contentment in God. Great contentment in God. And no matter what comes our way, we're good. We're good. We're good because we have God and God is good. J.I. Packer in this wonderful book said, there's no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them and that this relationship guarantees favor to them in life, through death, and on forever. Now, three stages of life where you can know that God is in charge and you're gonna be okay. One, in life. Two, in death. Three, after death. Someone tell me if there's a fourth stage anywhere that I'm missing. So in all of your life, if you know God, you can know he's in charge, things are okay. Even as you approach death, you can know God's in charge, you're gonna be okay. And then after death, you can know God, you can know things are gonna be okay. Like there's not a fourth phase of, that's it. Our life, our death, our afterlife. Jeff Packer says people who truly know God, they're good with everything because they know God is in charge of those three big areas of their life. You can see why Paul said, I want to know Christ. 
Because when you know Jesus, you have great energy, great belief, you have great courage, you have great contentment. You can understand why Paul said, I want you to know Christ. Because I want you to live the transformed life that God made you for, but it only happens as you really, really know God. You say, how can I know if I know God? How can we measure how deeply we know God? Now, this, this line took me a minute to get to. Because when I first started putting together this message, this line said, measuring our knowledge of God. And I thought, that's not what I want to say. Um, that's a head thing. And I'm looking for a heart thing. So I'm not trying to help people measure their knowledge of God. That's a head thing, not a heart thing. So then I changed it to measuring how much we know God. And I thought, that still sounds like a head thing to me. It needs to be a heart thing. God, what's the word? I want it to be a heart thing. And God said, deep, 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 depth, depth to people, depth to a relationship, measuring how deeply we know God. They say, man, Christian, like I, I've just started coming to church. I guess I don't think I can know God that deeply. I believe that you can. Look at what J.I. Packer says in his book about knowing God. A simple Bible reader and sermon hearer who is full of the Holy Spirit will develop a far deeper acquaintance with God and Savior than a more learned scholar who's content with being theologically correct. See, it's not information, it's transformation that helps your knowledge of God. The thief on the cross knew Jesus at a deeper level than any theologian who's ever studied any of Scripture because he beheld his glory in an instant with his own eyes. He didn't understand any of the words that we will say today. He couldn't have named any of the disciples. He probably couldn't have named any of the Ten Commandments, but he knew Jesus at a much more deep level than you and I do because he beheld the glory of God in the instant when he needed it the most. When you truly experience a moment with Jesus, you will know God at a depth that is transformational. You say, how can I measure myself? I'm going to give you three ways. I'm going to ask you to rate these one to ten. One being not good there. Ten being I know God deeply there. How do we measure the depth of our knowledge of God? Number one, how we pray. Number one, how we pray. You measure the depth of someone's relationship with God by how they pray. Now, one of the things we learn in Scripture is that we don't automatically know how to pray when we become Christians, right? Like babies know how to cry. They don't know how to count until someone teaches them. Christians know how to cry. We don't really know how to pray until someone teaches us. One of the reasons we do this 21 days of prayer that begins next Sunday and goes through October 3rd is so that we can teach people to pray who don't know how to pray because we know if you don't know how to pray, you can't go deep with God. So we teach people how to pray. And I want to beg you these 21 days. I want to beg you. I want to beg you to be a part of these. 6 a.m. Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. on Saturday. You can be here live. You can catch us online. It stays on Facebook every day. So you can catch it when you have time, if you're able to. But I want to challenge you to give 21 days to pray. You say, why 21? Because when Daniel prayed in the book of Daniel, it says 21 days after he prayed, God sent an answer through his angel named Gabriel. And we thought, okay, if we got to pray for something 21 days for God to break through, I'm going to pray for something for 21 days. You say, would Jesus pray 40? Why not pray 40? Because that's a lot of days to get up at 6 a.m. And, and if God, like if God, if 21's enough to get the answer, we'll do 21. Like if there's 10 in there somewhere, we might do 10. But like we settled on 21 because 40's more and it's a lot. But I promise you, I promise you, if you will come pray, your life will be changed. If you will tune in, your life will be changed. More than that, we will teach you how to pray. And if prayer is the number one measurement of the depth of our relationship with God, folks, if you want to go deep, you got to pray. If you want to go deep, you got to pray. What else? Number two, how we relate daily to God. 
this really isn't as much about God as it is about relationships. This is actually the, the easy one to learn. We can't know God any deeper than the time we spend with him. Actually, no relationships can be built without giving attention and interest to one another. None of you would have gotten married without showing attention and interest in one another, and some of you are going to struggle to stay married because you no longer give attention or show interest in one another. You don't have to say amen to that one, but it's true. You can't have a relationship with someone that you don't have time for and that you don't care about. And I can't tell you the number of people in 2020 who, when I say, man, how's your quiet time? Oh, I've just been really, really busy. Say, so help me understand who is more important to give your attention to, what is more important to show interest in than the God of the universe who wants to fill your soul to overflowing so you can be transformed. Help me understand what's more important than having your soul filled by your creator so you can do what God created you to do. What you're saying is I just don't know him or care about him that deeply when you give him no time in your life. No relationships, no friendships, no marriage, no partnerships in business. No relationships are built without attention and interest. And great relationships are only built by giving great attention and great interest to one another. You say, how do you prove that? Because of what God did to get our attention and show his interest in us. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4, 9. He says, now that you know God, and then he backs up and he says, or rather are known by God. Now that you know God, or, or rather, now that God knows you. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the attention and interest I'm going to show you. I'm going to step out of heaven, and I'm going to come and be born as a baby. And then 33 years later, I'm going to die on a cross, go into a grave, but I'm going to raise from the dead. One, because I want you to know how much I care, and I want you to see how much interest I have in you. I'm going to come be with you where you are for the thing I've created for you. So you say, how deep is my life with God? How much attention do you give to God every day? And then number three, finally, what goes into our hearts? What goes into our hearts is a real good measure of how deeply we know God. And man, I don't know that there's ever been a time where more things are being directed towards your heart than the world in 2020. We'll pick up with Chambers again, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of this week. He said this, we're not destined to happiness nor to health, but to holiness. Today, we have far too many desires and interests in our lives are being consumed and wasted by them. So I don't have time to pay attention to God every day. Whatever else is taking your time, whatever's consuming and wasting your time, what did Paul call it? Garbage compared to Jesus. You have to watch what goes into your hearts. Listen, you gotta watch the music that goes in your ears. You gotta watch the Netflix that comes into your eyes. You have to watch the social media content that works its way into your soul. You gotta watch what goes into your heart because that impacts how you're able to walk with God. But if you will do that, if you will do that, man, you can know God more deeply than you ever thought possible, which means you can be transformed more radically than you ever even knew you had potential for but you got to press on to know God. Two of the greatest verses in the Old Testament are given to us by the prophet Jeremiah. As we close, this is what he says. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom. Let not the strong boast of their strength or the, wise, or the rich boast in their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Paul said, that, or um, Jeremiah said, if you, if you can only get one thing right, get this right. 
that you know the Lord. If there's only one thing you do well, do this well. Learn how to know the Lord. If there's one thing in life you're more proud of than anything else, let it be this, that you know the Lord. Lots of things to boast about, none more important than just knowing who God is. Journey, our goal is that you might know God. If you're here today and you don't know him, you don't know him or know about him, before you leave this room, you can open up your heart and become one with the God of the universe by giving your past and your present and your future to his son, Jesus. And if you're here today and you're a Christian who just lost the last round, own it, wear it, acknowledge it, learn from it. Because when the future repeats itself, you'll be ready for all those lessons that God taught you as you walked with him. Get back in the fight. Press on, press on, press on. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. If you came in this morning separated from Jesus today, you not only don't know God, you didn't know about God. Could be a lot of reasons for that. But the only reason you're going to leave separated from God is if you choose to, because God today has tried to get your attention through the love of his son Jesus to say, I want to be close to you. I made you. I can remake the tough spots of you. I've created you for purpose. I want you to follow me. If you've never done that here or online, you say, I need Jesus. If God really knows me, if God really loves me, if God really has made me on purpose, if God really wants me to be in relationship with him, I want that too. Then all you got to do today is open your heart and life to Jesus and follow him. You say, Christian, I don't know how to do that. I'll pray a prayer. You can pray with me. Scripture says you become a follower of Jesus by believing in your heart. That's what God wants from you. Then confessing it with your mouth, praying it. So maybe just pray something like this with me. You don't have to pray out loud from your heart to heaven. Pray this, Jesus. Just repeat after me, Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive my sin and my brokenness. Heal me of my hurts and transform me into what you've created me to be. Today by faith, which means I don't understand it all. But my soul is telling me to believe it. Today by faith, I surrender my will and my life to your spirit and your leadership. Come into my heart and life and lead me. I am committing to follow you. If you just prayed with me in just a second, Pastor Mike will tell you how you can connect to us how we can pray with you, pray for you, give you some information as you begin to walk with Jesus. That's, that will be a real important first step to your walk. But before we close in prayer, heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. Christians, let me talk to you, Christians. If your spirit has been stalled by the circumstances of 2020, at some point you gotta face that, you gotta admit that, you gotta mourn that, you gotta rep- repent of that. Not recognizing spiritual failures, not learning from spiritual failure. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to help you. And then start the next round and come out swinging. If your measurements are lacking, begin to pray. Start interacting with God on a daily basis. Start pouring good things from God into your heart every day while turning off the things that are worthless and poison. Start walking with him again today. God, as we close our prayer, 
is that we would be a church that doesn't boast of our wisdom or boast of our strength or boast of our riches. But God, let Journey be a church that boasts about this, that we have an understanding to know you, that you are the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. These are the things you delight in. And God, as we press on to know you, I pray that we might know you at a level that brings transformation to our soul. Lord, let our church's boast not be of buildings and programs and and events, but Lord, let the boast of the people of our church be that we have understood enough to know God. He's revealed himself to us so that we might know him. And God, we pray that we might know you so fully that your kingdom comes and your will is done in our life and in our church and in our community and in our city and one day in our world that your kingdom comes and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But Lord, start with us. Open our hearts. Open our minds. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Today we press on to know you. Let that knowledge deeply transform our life. We love you. We need you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. Let's stand and worship, Journey.